0: was doing a gig which uh, had on the lineup Ratna Pathak Shah mm. Ratna Pathak Shah is for I mean our listeners I hope all of you know who she is she is incredible she is uh, one of the most famous and prolific actresses on Indian television from the 1980s all the way to the 1990s mm. she uh, was almost symbolic of you know the growing conscience of the artist and the performer even though they were in the mainstream um, wow. so yeah yeah. It's, I mean she's really intense okay and she's amazing and 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 so every play that she debuted in the past 20 years I have seen the first show because my dad yeah. would be like Ratna Pathak is in it chalo chalo let's go
1: mm. uh,
0: and I was sitting next to her okay on the plane <gasps> what and, did that feel like? oh my god so you, I didn't know like it was so this thing she's all like hello She's being really cool. And then I was like, Aditi, be cool. And then I started, like, I wanted to say something to somebody. So I took out my Instagram and I <laughs> and I started taking pictures of myself. Just being like, oh my God. And I just kept, kept captioning it. Oh my God, Ratna Bhatak Shah is sitting next to me. This is the best day of my life, okay? And uh, she, <laughs> she just turns around and she's like, hey, what's that? And I was like, ah! That thing. I was so scared. But uh you know and in order to sort of break the cuz I was like I need to what do you where do you, where do you go? Where do you right? go?
1: Like is she seeing you creepily text photos of yourself <laughs> next to her? And you're trying to like how do I how do I cover this up or like how do I how do I break the ice now? <laughs> you're like, the this is not ice. Uh this is the rock now." <laughs> meanwhile, you've like peed yourself a little bit multiple times. Multiple <laughs> times, right? And so I
0: and I wanted to, I mean, of course, I did that thing. But I was like, ma'am, I'm a huge fan. And, you know, my dad was a huge fan. And this means so much. And I'm so excited. And, you know, I'm really thrilled to watch you tonight on stage and everything. And I don't know how it happened. But we went into this really long discussion about textiles. Okay. Mm. About like clothes and stuff. I was like, I can't believe I'm chatting with someone who I have looked up to. That my dad has looked up to. And this great theater artist about clothes. Like like we're (laughs) discussing. And then so we're discussing like, oh, you know, do you like ajrak print? And do you like, you know, patti print? And and we were having this really like, like enthusiastic discussion. She's telling me about some, you know, wool thing that she bought recently, how Indian silk is not available anymore, because everything has become Chinese silk and all this stuff. I think in that moment, I was very grateful for the idea of fabric. For, (laughs) For the idea of cloth and how it brings... You know, like women together,
1: especially is is
0: fabric and textile a womanly thing? Like we're taught to care more about our clothes,
1: right? I was just thinking when you were saying that that, that like I feel like this is slightly unfeminist, but I feel like anytime you get women together, they can talk about clothes in some way. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course, right? And I was so grateful for that, and it made me sort of reflect back on uh, the textile industry, mm. right? It's such a heavily woman uh created and um served by Mm, industry that's true in fact one of the things that i was told recently was that uh turns out that prior to the british coming to india uh
1: india was one of the largest producers of textile in the world oh for sure and also one of the largest economies in the world Is that true? Absolutely. Before the British, India had something like 23 or 24% of the global GDP.
0: No way! But that's because that was like nothing else.
1: Like everything else was a barren wasteland waiting for. No, it was just like that rich and that industrious. Wow. There's, uh, if you are interested, Shashi Tharoor's book, An Era of Darkness, he basically talks about how. Before the British came, it was India had something like 23, 24% of global GDP. One of the biggest arguments for men taking more
0: responsibility for household work is that you will get access. Like if you're doing laundry for the family, my man, you will get access to a bra. Hmm. Figure out how to unhook that shit. <laughs> I feel like if a man knew what it looked like yeah. when it was not attached to a human body, maybe yeah. when he was putting it into the laundry. True. Yeah? He would have just been more acquainted with the system of, okay, oh, the that's latch. how the hook looks, and that's how, oh, okay, now yeah, I can move
1: latch. it. Yeah, you're right, the latch system. That, I think, is
0: a very important uh, yeah. reason why men should help in household duties there
1: you go. in unpaid labor. You folks, you heard it here. <laughs> The solutions to the world's problems. The solution to uh, getting, getting men to share the load revealed <laughs> on women in labor.
0: <laughs> but like the, the relationship of women with fabric I think has been a long-standing one.
1: I think women have been involved in textile production for like hundreds of years, hundreds of years. Even the
0: witch uh, in Snow White sitting there and making uh, cloth. Uh-huh.
1: Oh my God, or the term spinster. Oh, yeah. The term spinster. Can I tell you a spinster story? I need to hear a spinster story. Okay, so, spinster, like, spinster basically, a spinster is someone, spinster is from being at the wheel, right? And spinning yeah. the cloth and spinning I, the cloth.
0: Huh. And so, this, and also, uh, it's a pejorative term for women that are not married exactly. beyond the marriageable age. So, okay. like, a 40 year old unmarried woman would be called a
1: spinster. Okay, so, funny story. So, um, when uh, I I married, uh, I got married in India and the paperwork that they presented, my husband's Indian, the paperwork they presented to get us married said on it, Amrish Kumar, parentheses, husband, huh. is marrying Christina McGilvery parentheses, spinster. Hilarious.
0: <laughs> Hilarious. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> I was so shocked. I said... I am sending that paperwork back and I refuse to sign it. I said, you change that language. Nice. I will not sign that piece of paper. Nice. (laughs) Because there's no way, like, what kind of language is that to put in that document? Yeah. Oh my
0: God. That's so... But I guess the idea was always that, like, if you... That if you don't get married, then you'll spend a lot of time spinning or that like, if you spin, then you won't get married. It's yeah. kind of weird. You know, in fact, uh, in the in the alarming statistic that we have used as a jump off point for this podcast, which is that the number of women in the workforce is declining rapidly uh, to the point that it'll even be lower than in India is declining rapidly. It'll be even lower than Saudi Arabia uh, by 2021. Uh, one of the countries, our neighbors, Bangladesh. Uh, in fact, saw an increase in participation of women in the workforce, primarily because of the textile industry. Correct. The question, of course, that we can ask is, so what's happening with
1: textile industries in India, right? What's happening with that? So today we're going to be talking to someone who works in uh, textile production, who's done a lot to move uh, women in the workplace forward, both from uh, his own business perspective the business that he's running. And then also through this very cool design thinking perspective. So there's um, both running the business, but then also looking at what are ways that we can make manufacturing better for women workers. If
0: an industry has 70% women, then you make life better for women in that industry. Like... That's crazy. You know, even uh, actually, I mean, I'm so I feel like we're so inclusive, uh, Christina, because uh, (laughs) we really have thought of everyone. Look at us. We even have a man on this podcast. That's true. (gasps) We are just angels. Uh, We have with us uh, Anantu Huja, who belongs to the Good Business Lab, which has worked very frequently in partnership with Shahi Exports, which is a mass manufacturing, uh, clothes manufacturing and textile company that provides clothes to, you know, companies,
1: companies,
0: yeah, companies all over the world, clothes that you're probably wearing as you listen to this
1: podcast. Um one thing that Anand advocates is that all of these things are, he is first and foremost a business person. Yeah. You know, so these are all decisions he's making, not from like a CSR perspective. Yeah, yeah. But from a money-making business solutions perspective.
0: Yeah, and so, you know what? Can you, can you empower women, make life better for your women workers and make money? Find out now. <laughs> Listen, uh also, man, the work you're doing sounds damn cool.
2: You've heard a little bit, huh?
0: Yeah, I mean we did the
2: research, right? you oh. gotta
0: you gotta study.
2: Okay, you gotta, thank you. That's Do so you cool mind word. if I like have my laptop out?
0: No bring Is it out. Is that on. okay? No,
2: Open it up. Okay. I don't know, I didn't wanna be like too academic or whatever no, but we're, i was okay. like i should come with some notes like i shouldn't just pull up and like yeah
0: and you know what for our social media we'll have them take a picture so it'll look like you know like wow this guy he's fucking got a laptop prepared open. yeah like yeah shit i mean can you imagine We're so busy couldn't get a printout
2: i mean Actually, you know i mean it it's more like sustainability like let's not waste oh paper. shit oh <laughs> psych,
0: oh, psych. what did you go to college for
2: i studied political science um economics those two topics nice. mostly yeah then like senior year yeah. um i was talking to one of my professors and he's like i was like yeah yeah, i'm really interested in development i want to see like if i'm gonna work really hard i want to kind of help the world like do some do something good you know mm. like this is
0: such a musician thing to say i mean it's, it's <laughs> just like
2: everyone should should think that a little bit at least you know yeah. we um, couldn't agree more yeah. yeah so anyways i was like uh telling him that you know what, what do you think? And I was going over some ideas and he's like, hey, look, you guys have this family business. Yeah. Um, It's a garment kind of uh, manufacturing business. So why don't you go check it out? Why don't you go see what opportunities there are? So that was actually the first time where I was like, actually, he's right. So I came back here and then I kind of like got involved.
1: What is the story of the business? How did it start?
2: Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Basically, the business is a contract manufacturing firm. That's like the technical term that some people use. It's basically garment factories. Um, We make clothes for all the large global retailers, Gap, H&M, Zara, Uniqlo, um, a lot of these businesses. I'm you, wearing
0: Uniqlo tights right Yeah, I mean, I don't know. if
2: I don't think we made those, but that's cool. Do you cool guys that- know each
0: other? <laughs> Do you guys know each other?
2: Yeah, so basically that's what the business is. And the legacy is that it was started by my grandmother. So female entrepreneur. Um, I mean, this was back in the 70s. And it's pretty crazy. Like back then for a woman to start a business like yeah. this seems like a pretty mm. crazy idea. She joined a factory, right? She's like, yo, I need some money. Uh, I want to work. Let me go join this factory. So she joined a local factory. She had been taught like how to sew when she was a kid. So she knew she had the skills. Um, but then my uncle, her younger son, she was worried about him. She was like, this kid's getting in trouble. Like I need to be at home and, you know, take (laughs) care of him. Like, you know, um, so, so she quit her job. She told the factory manager who also was a woman at the time, the, the Ah. factory she worked in. I, I don't know like how this is even.
1: Where was this?
2: This was here in Delhi. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: You know, is it also because, I mean, a garment creation has conventionally been a more pink collar job with more women in...
2: Totally, totally. I mean, historically, if you look at the garment industry um, across the world, right, like it's had, it's, I mean, it's existed in the US, it's existed yeah. in the UK, in yeah. Japan, and it was an engine for growth for the economy in all these countries. It kind of helped them industrialize. Yeah. And it all happened on the backs of women. Basically, yeah. women ran this industry. But the, the kind of sad truth is that on the front line were women, but then the management was usually men. Men, yeah, yeah. And so I was pretty surprised to hear that in this case, the factory manager was a woman. So but it kind of makes sense because my grandmother was like, hey, listen, I can't uh, continue. Um, I'm really sorry, whatever. And then the factory manager was like, you have really good sewing skills. I'd be happy to give you some orders to do from home. Mm. so then she's like okay cool
0: your grandmother was the gig economy before the gig economy totally geek economy? totally
2: <laughs> totally yeah so
0: Whoa.
2: i mean yeah so she took these orders home she started working on them and um i think like the de- like they there was so much demand to do this that she couldn't keep up with the work so she started talking to other women in the community and said hey why don't you guys all you know help out and apparently the house, the small apartment or whatever was like a small was like a factory basically. Yeah. So my dad told me he used to like sleep on the cutting table and like just funny <laughs> images of like how how it all you Your know dad
0: is stitched into a dress and you're like,
2: I, I mean, lost a- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So so that's like the legacy of the business. Um, then it got officially established in you know 74 75. Um, and I think what that meant was like a proper factory not like a home base like you know set up
1: what was your grandmother like as a person is like
2: um yeah she's still alive today so she's you know she's still here that's amazing she i mean it's hard to describe but like she's my my mom and my aunt would say she was a lioness as you know those yeah. that's the word they use to describe her so she was someone who was very kind of uh, outspoken, very bold, but at the same time, you know, um, had her own kind of, you know, uh, way of dealing with things that was very different than maybe how a man would deal with things. Um, I think the main thing was, like, she was a garment worker herself. So, like, yeah. she could relate. Like, she she still does t- t- till today. So, she always prioritized, like, understanding people and, like, caring for them and stuff like that.
1: And how has it grown from the point when your grandmother started it and your uncle was, or he was, your uncle or your dad was sleeping on the cutting table until (laughs) this point? What's that growth been like?
2: Today, um, Shahi's almost a billion dollar company. So, in some sense, you can say my grandmother created a unicorn, as they say (laughs) in the the startup world, you know? (laughs) What an Um, entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it took time, but like I said, there was also a lot of changes in the country so in the 90s the you know the 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 economy like opened up and yeah. stuff like that before that there was weird things like quotas i don't really understand it yeah. i don't really want to understand oh, it God. because yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not in that <laughs> world times anymore when our
0: parents used to smuggle like jeans into the yeah. country <laughs> by wearing seven pairs of jeans yeah. through two <laughs> costumes and you're like this guy has a huge ass <laughs> or nine pairs of jeans on for <laughs> oh, every niece and nephew yeah
2: that's funny <laughs>
0: what a time what a time, what a time. Um,
2: <laughs> when i joined back in 2012 or 13 The company had 60,000 employees, full-time employees, Mm. and now it's 120,000. So it's literally doubled um, in terms of like the employee base.
1: And what percentage of those employees are women?
2: Um, It's close to 70%.
1: And how does that compare to... So if Shahi has about 70% female employees, um, how does that compare to other garment manufacturers in the country what's sort of the national picture of how women are participating in in garment manufacturing
2: yeah so it's a good question i mean this this whole podcast is kind of based on this huge problem that we're seeing in in terms of the data where there's this downward trend it's pretty scary obviously but in the garment industry, it's kind of the reverse trend. Yeah. So more and more women are entering mm. the workforce. And I think that's true across the country. It's true kind of across the world.
0: Yeah. yeah in um, fact, Bangladesh right now, I mean, their female lab- labor force participation increased exponentially, owing massively to the garment industry is because the way the garment industry was being regulated suddenly allowed women to jump into the workforce much more than it had earlier. And so that it's really fascinating,
1: the industry by itself Yeah, uh, and what it has done for women
2: you've done your research hey, hey. <laughs>
1: and w- working with shahi what have you found what are some of the things it takes to bring women into the workforce because you guys do make an effort and you do have a much higher percentage of women employees what are the some some of the things it takes to bring women into the workforce
2: yeah so i mean the indian labor law is pretty specific around like women's safety at work and there surprisingly are some good laws i just don't think they're enforced well and and always followed so an example is like recently they revised the maternity leave six six months months. yeah
1: so so there's the maternity benefit act yeah and it's mandatory six months of maternity leave and the employer is responsible for paying for that six months Yeah. yeah yeah
2: i think there were some unintended consequences of it because men didn't get any paternity put, leave yeah like yeah. a parental leave or whatever and so now it's like why should we hire women we have to give them six yeah. months let's just hire. yeah and so that kind of sucks but and it's
1: also can be disincentivizing to employers because if you have yeah. to pay for that six months so yeah. that's an unintended consequence exactly. of that law
2: basically like the two main things are providing maternity leave and then having daycare facilities but i think where we have um innovated is just how we do it um the attention we give to it and then i think also, like sensitizing supervisors, uh, you know, if a woman's pre- if a woman just had a kid and the kid is in the daycare center, giving some flexibility so she can go spend time, breastfeed, go even if it's just the kid's a bit older and she just wants to go have lunch with the kid. It's all on the facility, um, in the factory, so that creates like a really nice atmosphere and environment, and just like I think. For us, if we were to look at it just from a business lens, we're, we're saying, okay, the, the majority of our workforce is women. These are problems that affect them. So we need to have policies that deal with this. And by doing that, if we are looking for a business justification, by doing that, it's possible you could reduce attrition, like the rate at which people are dropping out. You can keep them in the company, keep them in the workforce, which actually matters a lot. Like, we don't have this attitude that, just it's okay if people leave because we'll just fill in the gaps because each time someone leaves there's a huge training cost right you bring someone else on you have to train them there's a loss of efficiency and there's a recruitment cost there's all these costs that go into it um so i think even from the business side there's a sort of requirement to like think about these factors Mm -hmm. there's a lot of health services we've been uh working on recently um Again, there's a government law that says uh, companies that employ a certain amount of women have to provide sanitary pads. Um, We were providing them, but we looked at the data and no one was using them. And we're like, that's weird. They're like basically free or highly subsidized. Why is no one using them? And we found out that a lot of women were actually using fabric scraps. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, we're in a garment industry, there's all this fabric, why not just use this? That was like the mentality, but from a hygiene point of view, there's a lot of risks of doing that. And from a behavioral point of view, it was pretty tricky to actually get the sanitary pads. Not tricky, but just I can imagine why it would be difficult when you think about, okay, all these women are, there's really high pressure on, on them to perform. It's monitored every hour. If they need to get up to leave and go all the way to the medical room. Yeah. First of all, like, that's going to affect productivity in the mind of supervisors. Secondly, like, most supervisors are men. So they don't want to tell them, hey, I'm on my menstrual cycle. I need to go get, you know, like, that's not a conversation they want to have. So what we try to do is eliminate a lot of that human interaction and make it easier by providing uh, sanitary pads in the bathroom. Yeah. So we set up, like, a vending machine there's a biometric, so you don't need any coins or cash. You just scan your finger and you can get a pad in the bathroom.
1: That's, That's great, really cool. actually. Because you know, we've had a lot of things going on. I'm sure you guys have seen the stories with women working in manufacturing and some of the horrific things yeah. that are done. Um and so it's really good that you guys are thinking about stuff like that. And yeah, you're right, totally. just things like if you're a woman in that position. And to go up to a man with some to authority and say, Go hey. up to a figure and authority to talk about your menstrual cycle that's
0: i mean in actually in india if you go to the like the chemist the guy who is selling you these <laughs> sanitary napkins, he is like he's like wrapped the each pad is individually wrapped <laughs> inside a plastic packet another packet newspaper <laughs> black plastic bag i'm like, like oh my god is serious a head drugs like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> what's so scary about yeah, this, yeah, Look, yeah. I mean, this is, and this is in the mainstream this is yeah you know you and i buying sanitary napkins sure, is a yeah. problem uh, and so for someone, um, you know, in that environment, I'm not, I won't be surprised if it's very difficult.
1: Exactly. exactly. That's such a good one. Anna. Are there any other ways that you're making that work environment more friendly?
2: This is just one quick stat I'll throw in if, you know, if we can take a minute or two. But we did a study on like the sort of mental stress levels people face. So we use this thing called the K10 assessment. It's like a psychological tool to assess people's mental well-being. And we found that, you know, we surveyed men and women. The men who scored high on, like, who had, you know, were dealing with mental health issues or, like, high levels of mental stress, they were also much more likely to be absent at work, to mm. take absent, like, to take leave. For women, we didn't see that. And I think that could be two things. One could be, like, maybe they don't have the agency to say, yeah. I'm not going to work, like, fuck this, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Yeah. like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the other thing is, maybe the mental stress is not coming from the workplace but from home so the workplace is an escape for them yeah because they're surrounded by all these other women and like you know that's the ideal thing if, if they can see the workplace as like a safe kind of community center for them Amazing. right now we're kind of breaking it down and looking at it from the perspective of loneliness so there are some migrant workers we employ. And when I say migrant, I mean from different states in India, not like, you know, uh, from mm-hmm. other No
0: countries. Latino workers? <laughs> <laughs>
2: no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have basically uh, seen that a lot of the migrant workers come to new cities like Bangalore, right? Like, let's say they're coming from Orissa and going to Bangalore to work. Sure. Then they're in this totally new environment apart from their family. And um, so we've actually partnered with... Uh, university of pennsylvania they have a really strong psychology department mm. and we're doing the study around how a body system so like a mentorship program could reduce like the feeling of loneliness because when you feel lonely like you start to everything starts to become like negative right yeah. you put that lens on kind of everything you do so we're really trying to address mental health from that perspective to begin with that's amazing that's, really
1: cool. that's so cool so there's a buddy that you're yeah, looking like, at a buddy system so let's say yeah
2: if like, you have like a senior like someone who migrated from Orissa but has spent a year or two at shahi there's certain like criteria but they would be eligible to be a senior buddy then a junior one would be tied up with them and then they're like they do activities together they do this that and the idea is to kind of create like a you know a bond that helps them get through that initial sort of, you know, um, stressful period of adjusting to mm-hmm. a new factory and new job.
0: It's so incredible that you're doing this at this level, um, is where, you know, a person who leaves their home and their city and their country, that just makes a nicer, kind of funner world.
2: Totally, totally. And where GBL, Good Business Lab is doing research on it. So based on this knowledge we generate, the idea is to promote these ideas across the business world. So not just Shahi, other companies start doing this. And hopefully, you know, we can see some business impact because then there's a much bigger incentive for firms to get involved.
0: Like you're the first, I, honestly, you're the first person who works in the garment industry that's like, we're partnering with the University of
2: Pennsylvania. <laughs> I <was> like, what? <laughs>
0: what, what how? Like, yeah, well, I, I, Good
2: Business Lab is its own thing, right? Shahi is a large garment firm. Good mm-hmm. Business Lab is a not-for-profit Research and design yeah. innovation lab. So, because of what we've created, there's all these like different collaborations and partnerships happening. Whether it's like universities partnering with us, um, you know, different organizations that are interested in the work we're we're trying to trying to do, basically.
1: As a dude advocating yeah by the way you should know you
0: are the first like you're the highest amount of testosterone we've had in the (laughs) since the beginning of this show
2: that's amazing so
0: congratulations Uh, you're also breaking boundaries for your gender yeah (laughs) that's what you're doing yeah
2: empowering um men (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. to empower women (laughs) there you go there you go (laughs) um no it's been a good it's been a positive experience i've never really felt like bad in any way i think women are just nicer than men in general <laughs> so like you know i i attended this conference in vancouver women deliver um and it was like i rage. love
0: the name of this part this uh this uh
2: conference uh, yeah like it women deliver women like deliver women it is. yeah <laughs> okay, it's a very sorry. cool conference it's yeah. i think one of the larger ones uh, that talks about these issues so mostly women but i think it was pretty interesting to bring in the like male perspective a little bit um people were very open i never felt like hey what are you doing here (laughs) like probably the way men would treat women if it were the other around i never felt that um yeah and i think if i'm being fully honest like i am definitely passionate about the work i do i didn't wake up one day and say women's empowerment is my like goal in life like but it's just that when I came into the business I saw like wow there's a huge opportunity we have here mm-hmm. um, because of the nature of the business and I think first of all it's not just like the right thing to do but also the smart thing to do so in some sense for yeah. the business it's like the low-hanging fruit <laughs> like guys we have to do this you know um, so that's kind of what's powered a lot of the you know attention and focus I give to this topic but at the same time it's been really rewarding it's been um yeah, just a positive experience overall. I just wanted to, like, be honest and say, like, look, we've painted this really amazing picture of Shahi, and I think, like, Shahi's doing some great work, and Good Business Lab is really, like, helping Shahi innovate on that. But, um, you know, the pay gap thing we still haven't addressed. I think women in leadership is still a topic we're trying to work out and figure out, but we're taking a very sort of systems, you know, approach. Um I think this idea of creating high quality jobs is not that easy, no matter who you're creating it for, you know? So, but I think there's a lot of areas to improve on and um, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of work left for us to do.
1: You know, we ask every guest on the podcast for one thing they can do or to share one thing that listeners can do yeah. um, uh, to create change on this issue. The segment is called Do One Thing.
2: Do One Thing, Nice.
1: Yeah, you might know where that
2: was. Yeah, (laughs) definitely.
1: Uh, And so I wonder if there's one thing you would share with us that is one thing people can do in their everyday lives.
2: I don't really have any magical solutions. I think the first thing is just like more dialogue, right? Like, let's do more of this. Let's cut out all the small talk and let's talk more about real things that matter, you know? So that's what, what that could look like is literally just when you meet people, when you talk to people, ask them about these things, bring these things up in conversations, have meaningful conversation. I feel like that's the, that's the one thing I would say. Um, and then I think, you know, something I've learned from the work we've done is it's really like this sort of design thinking approach. So when you're trying to create solutions, the best way to do it is to sort of co-create them with the people you're trying to work with not have this paternalistic approach of like this is what you guys need um really like working from the ground up so i feel like that's a nice philosophy that probably applies in a lot of different ways
1: yeah Mm. yeah yeah yeah. absolutely well thank you so much
2: thank you guys this was nice
1: (laughs) women in labor is made by christina McGilvery, laura quinn Aditi Mittal, Manya Deva, Sunakshi Chowdhury, Nandita Gupta, Sonali Thakur, Ipti Patnaik, Rose Higgins, Porva Jassi, Regina Hawkins, Kashish Sethi, and Priyanka Verma. This podcast is generously supported by a grant from the American Center New Delhi. The opinions, findings, and conclusions stated are those of women in labor and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State. For more information on the podcast, visit womeninlabor.com or search Women in Labor on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook.